Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. All right, we're rolling. Welcome. Oh, hello, everyone. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Welcome to the podcast, Father John, Father Nathan. Uh, happily in Easter tide, but we're rather uh, uninspired today. I don't know what's going on. We are living in the the, the octave. Yep. Like uh, the- it's it's exhausting. Like I don't think people understand how run down uh, priests are after the the three or four days of intensive kind of liturgies and last minute preparations, and then the whole hordes of of people going to confession and then literally after Easter Sunday you're like kind of in a daze. I feel like I've been like off my game for the last I don't know since since Monday certainly. It reminds me of uh, Mugatu from Zoolander. I'm so tired. <laughs> I just watched that so with those guys. Tired. <laughs> you know foamy lattes make me bloaty. The um yeah, it's it's a stretch. I was in a parish uh with Father Matt Book and um Geez, you guys—they uh, go hard uh, through the Trudeau. I, f- I forget uh, just not living on a um, liturgical year in the same way, kind of tethered to it. It's uh, it's serious. So here we are, and uh, into the uh, Easter octave, and uh, happily out of Lent. But do you re- do you uh, do you follow the pillar? I forget. Did I ask you that? The pillar. The pillar. J.D. Yes. Flynn and Ed Condon. Okay, uh-huh. can you read them? Ed had a nice uh, thing today. If you don't know the pillar, it's uh, these two guys who just started a journalism project, Catholic guys, and they're basically trying to uh, do real investigative journalism but with a real balance because they're seeing the extremes kind of continue to mm-hmm. ossify in the church, and they're great guys, and we totally support them. Uh, but Ed had a nice point. He said uh, today this temptation of, like, we sucked during Lent, you know, and we failed at our penances, and now we feel guilty feasting. Because we don't feel like we should. I don't do that. Okay. Well, some people do. I can relate to that. And uh, so okay. if you if you're feeling like that, you're That's like, oh, I can't really enjoy Easter because I failed. I at, didn't earn it. Yeah. And he's like, well, you don't. That's exactly how the gratuitousness of everything. You know, in Weight Watchers, they recommend dipping the tines of the fork into the dressing, and then putting it into the lettuce but maybe during the easter season you put the tines of the fork in the lettuce and then dip the lettuce into the into the dressing yeah like that would be super feasting crazy no you don't freaking earn the resurrection people like it's not something that you've saved enough credits for like uh tickets at the casino or tickets at the what's it called the carnival circus circus yeah that somehow, like you've you've got enough points that you can buy, you know, freedom from your uh, sins and whatever else. Can I read this real quick? I thought Please. it was a nice point. Feasting like sons. This is how they do these like uh, news kind of digests, but it was apparently a slow week in the news because he's not really talking about anything. But uh, he says, "I was sitting with some Catholic men talking about how Lent had gone. Uh, we ended up." talking a bit about the difficulty of giving ourselves over to a season of feasting. It's tricky. The temptation is to feel like we don't deserve it, haven't earned it. That, of course, is the whole point. We don't deserve God's love. We cannot possibly earn the incredible riches of the resurrection. It is his free gift made in love. 
And then he said, not being a father myself, I sometimes struggle with the idea of God loving me as a son, but the guys I was having breakfast with, dads all, helped me grasp better the all-consuming nature of parental love and the existential horror a dad would feel knowing his child couldn't accept it. So it's Easter, party on, you definitely don't deserve it. There you go. Nice, huh? Yeah, that's nice a good point. exhortation. I always tell the people, whatever the whatever the equivalent of eggnog is in the Easter season, you know, like... Find it. Find it. But I did make a recommendation of mimosas. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you caught the news cycle, but uh, there was a TikTok video. Not a proponent of TikTok. This came up on a news feed, um, but I thought it was rather humorous. Um, there's a TikTok video of somebody saying, this is what it looks like after two mimosas. This is what I look like after four mimosas. This is what I look like after eight mimosas. And then the last video is of, is of this girl's teeth completely knocked out because she slipped and fell oh, and busted her teeth completely gone. So uh, feasting has to be within reason, folks. So whatever the eggnog equivalent is, if it's bottomless mimosas, you know, all in all in moderation. All in moderation. I just feel like the, the mimosa thing is uh, it's great, but you, you feel like you start a, t- a stopwatch, don't you? As soon as you start drinking, it's like you have four hours left before you fall asleep, or six hours left. It's it's so yeah. If it's ten a.m. and you're drinking mimosas, right? You're gonna make it max to four p.m. True. Father Blaha calls that firing the evening gun. The like evening what? Gun. What time are you firing the evening gun? And if it's if you're starting with Bloody Marys. Or mimosas at at ten a.m. It's it's not unless you have a a long pause in the middle of the day. Right. It usually doesn't usually doesn't bear fruit. Well, here's to drinking the uh, this nice uh, dunkel here on a Friday afternoon. Dubel. Dubel. Yep. Salute. Cheers. I like Cheers. Of those glass. Mm-hmm. Well, you it could be worse. What? So you're tired, but you know it could be worse. You could be a Gonzaga basketball fan, right? I didn't. Say oh! I didn't say anything. Oh, it was heartbreaking. I did. I did actually say a little <laughs> prayer for Catherine because her poor little heart, heart is probably can't handle it. Probably broken. She's already a delicate, a delicate soul. I know, but now she's you know she's they're accustomed to suffering. True. I mean, it's every year, every it, year. Yes, it it was it was particularly rough this year. Yeah. Um. But they almost they almost had the dagger put in them. Uh, and the UCLA game. That was amazing. This is the frustrating thing. I, of course, went with University of Illinois. I'm a homer. Well, that was, yeah. Like, uh, you know, I just have to have that. I came in second place having picked Illinois to go all the way to the championship. In the priest bracket? In the priest bracket, I came in fifth. Huh. So I would have dominated, but alas, you know, I went with I went with my boys. It was a tough loss. Congratulations to Loyola. Yeah. Um, there was some very uh, cheeky commentary uh, going on back and forth prior to the game. And then afterwards, I just had to give the virtual handshake and walk away. Just walk away. It was bad. But yeah, Gonzaga was bad. It was bad. We're supposed to do a podcast on Thomas of Villanova, but you know, uh, we should probably do one on Gonzaga and about yeah. how he suffered yes. in agony. In Aloysius. his youth. Died young. Died young. Uh, heartache. Yes. So. There anyways. you go. So, yes, we move on. We move on. Yep. I uh, I do think that 
I don't know. Recovering. Oh, I'm hoping the guys, my guys are coming back tomorrow. We're going to hit it for the final stretch. We got uh, a month until ordinations. And uh, here in Denver, we got two uh, new companions being ordained. Deacon Sean Conroy, Deacon Peter Sursich. Very exciting. Both of whom have lived with you. No. Sean. Well, did, Sean. Yeah. Peter lived with you for a summer. Sean was a guest. Sean is a guest. We're all guests, right? Some. Some are yes. guests. Some are more regulars at the <laughs> Chateau. Uh, yeah. So, we're calling it early. Let's move. Let's move into this. Yeah, this uh, little flat banter. Yeah, we haven't been together, and I feel like I haven't podcasted in two months. I so. haven't seen you in, what, since convocation? I haven't seen you since 2020. The Whatever, uh, whatever man. Whatever, man. Convocation. Or not convocation. The... Chrism mass. Yeah, we're just yeah, just a generally uninspired apathy today, folks, both in banter and in content. It's so just uh, just settle down, okay? It's you know? Friday. It's Friday of uh, the first week of Easter. We're just kind of chilling. I don't think we're flat. I think we're chilling. We're just chilling. Okay, one one last thing. Can I can I just say one more thing? Sure. Just go ahead. I would like some feedback from Podcast Land. Because I think we said this previously, we were asked by the Catholic card game oh, yes. to submit uh, a yellow card and a white card for you know the the Catholic card game. They're going to do a expansion pack. If you didn't know this, surprise. If we weren't supposed to tell anybody, tough nuggies. Um, but uh, this guy Matt emailed me, the founder of the Catholic card game, and said, "Do you have any ideas?" Now I think. I think that the point is, uh, it's like if if um, if you if your priests on your favorite podcast are talking about something, they're talking about blank, you know, and then you would put your, you know, whatever white card mm. out, or we got to make something up about banter. Mm. But I'm also like, can we do like mullets? Can you have a card that just says bourbon and sour patch kids? You know, like. I mean, how much is an inside joke for Catholic stuff, and how much is it just like, yeah, people know about that. Like, people know about Catholic stuff and bourbon. Yeah. You know? I think I don't understand the concept of the game. I guess I'm not familiar it's with Catholic it. apples it just, to, It's Catholic okay. apples to apples. So if it said banter, bourbon, and mullets. Yes. Yeah. Is the email in? Banter. Is what, what is it? Banter, bourbon, and what? And mullets. No, no, no. This is... We're My, waiting uh, for the priest assignments to come out. True. At that point, we'll probably pause and just talk to each other for a while. Talk to each other. Anyways, but I, I am soliciting feedback from people, which is we want to come up with a good card, you know? Good card. Um, so that's it. Yeah, that's it. At the end, I want to talk about a suggestion that I am actually going to take from a listener, um, and uh, it'll be coming up in a couple weeks. Nice. All right, so to the topic. To the topic. Because we have one, right? Well, it's your turn. Yeah. I have my topic prepared. I'm going next week. <sighs> Bull. Mm. <laughs> they next don't know week. that. Yeah. They don't that. know that. Okay. So I um, I love this guy. Julian Caron. Caron. Do you know Caron? I have, I have heard of him. I have never read his stuff. What do you know about Caron? He is the leader of Communion Liberation right now. Yep. Um, I don't. He's not the head of uh, Fraternity of Charles Borromeo right now, is he? No. Um, I don't think he's a member of so Charles Borromeo. he's effectively the responsible of the movement called Communion and Liberation 
in the whole world, mm-hmm. uh, which has branches everywhere from like Kenya, Italy, America, Ireland, etc. Um, uh, so he's the next responsible after, I mean, Jusani, but I think there was probably somebody in between, right? That's a good question. He became the president of the Fraternity of Community Liberations in 2005. Giussani died right around then. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if there was an in-between, but he's amazing. Uh, Spanish priest ordained in 1975. He did a doctorate in sacred scripture. Funny enough, Rap and I were digging around in the uh, libraries of Rome, and he was like, oh, random, there's this guy who did a doctorate on my exact topic. Not the exact same like thesis, but, yes. but on Acts 3, whatever, the uh-huh. Peter's... Speech. Apocalyptic digression that yep. I think we just read yesterday in the Mass. It was this guy, wow. Julian Caron. Did you look for $100? Uh, I did not. Okay. No. Do you know the story, people? But uh, When you finish a doctorate, you publish it, and you put it in, you put a stick 100 euro in there so that when you come back 10 years later, you pick it up and buy dinner with it because nobody actually reads. Nobody reads it. But, nobody reads but it. But if you know that now, you should ask just to go in. Flipping through. Yeah. Not a bad idea. So... Uh, Caron is, um, yeah, he's kind of the... What is the book that you're alluding to other than the fact that you're waving it in front of me? Waving it? The Radiance in Your Eyes, What Saves Us from Nothingness. And uh, so... Could you say it in, in like a Spanish accent? The Radiance of the Eyes. Um, uh, what's, I'm trying to think of Father Luis Granados. Uh, there's a lot of filler. <laughs> what Saves Us from Nothingness. This is his reflection, small book, his reflection on what have we seen in during the pandemic really? from a spiritual perspective. Huh. And he inc- that was quick. he incorporates a lot of uh, letters and correspondence within the movement that he's received from young people. And he's particularly interested in the question of nihilism as what he says as an existential state. So nihilism is not via just nihilist. not just yeah, via nihilist, we believe in nothing. It's not just the Big Lebowski. It is um, something that has permeated the air and the culture that we live in. I bought this book and I read it very slowly throughout Lent. Where did you find it? Online. Oh. On Amazon. I just saw he had published this and I jumped on it. I also bought it for my marriage prep couples with, a, I would say, mixed success. Yeah. There's a certain kind of CL lingo that you got to be yeah. familiar with. Uh, it's a lot of this kind of man's existential journey in the event of his experience towards his destiny. You know, that's kind of, yeah. you know, I love it. I love it. I'm not mocking it. I am mocking it, but I also love it. Um, and uh, it's filled with that. So, But for married couples. They- my boy, Clay Thomas, and we were doing the uh, marriage prep, and he's just like, I read one page, and I was just like, done. And I was like... Hey, you read more than most people who BS me, and they're like, "Oh, it's so good," you know. But he at least he's honest. So, sure. so it's a it, his style is particular. Um, it's very kind of it's European, I think, in a particular way, Spanish, Italian, in the way that he writes. We got to remember this is all stuff out of translation. So, but this is a it's a wonderful little read, and I recommend it, uh, especially if you're interested in this question uh, of what saves us from nothingness. If you're seeing people, friends, family, not just struggle through the pandemic, because we see a lot of people who have been trying to cope, just trying to cope through life, more Netflix, more alcohol, more whatever. But the real, the real darkness is that 
that profound sense of isolation and meaninglessness um, that, and he's trying to combat that by saying, well, what does the Christian have to say to that? So, uh, wonderful, wonderful book. I don't have a lot of time to talk on it, but I just want to pull three, three things that really hit me over Lent um, and uh, bring them to your attention. See if you have any thoughts on it and then we'll. I like this. Wrap it up. Please. That's not good? So this is not systematic in any way. If only we could actually like have a background music playing, you know, where it's like, into your eyes, the light, <laughs> the heat, your eyes. Exactly. Okay. So um, here's the first one. Number one. I love these sentences that are really dramatic and um, just kind of comprehensive, like the most insidious threat. Right, that's that. You read that in um, Kamisaska talks about that. Mm-hmm. Everything's the most insidious thing in the world, and I just love this. It stuff. is essential. It is essential. Is there anything more crucial? Stop. Oh, and it, we're back. What was that? It just froze. Like, did you hit something? No. Did you see me hit anything? No. To into your eyes. All right, we're back. Like Sorry, there. The, the radiance in your eyes. <laughs> Uh, so we had, we, we had some technical you, difficulties. Technical difficulties. We're back. You do interpret reality through primarily '80s and '90s music, yeah. and uh, you know that's true. Pop culture. Appreciate that. Sorry, our that. computer literally just stopped right in the middle of a recording. Yep. So Pretty we're going to go on. Please, the on. most insidious something. So the, okay. So here's what he says. Um, so he's asking the question of um, what does the church have to say? to a world that is so deeply secularized that they're not even aware or interested in the question of meaning anymore. Um, and by meaning, we mean that which is outside of us, right? Because the, the predominant culture, the predominant response to nihilism is self-creation. I create things that are meaningful. This is important to me, you know? Hmm. I was joking with Matt Book, uh, Father Matt Book, because he has a 51-year-old... Um, parochial vicar who's very just diligent and i said well enjoy it while you can because your next one's going to be a baby millennial and it's if it's not important to him he's probably not going to do it Mm -hmm. and he's like oh yikes kill me now and i was like oh it's coming so making fun of our own generation so here's what here's what um carone first has to say is there anything more crucial today than discovering the original nature of our desire desire as de Lubach observed, the, the truly important thing to focus on is not the more or less burdensome tribute we all pay to human weakness, but the nature and extent of your desire. And here's the, the money line. The most insidious threat of our time is the failure to see and value the authentic stature of human desire. Hmm. This failure can follow various roads and be promoted in various ways by those whose interests are served by controlling others' lives. Okay. And then he goes into screw tape letters uh, by Lewis and talks about this kind of Satan's desire to just dissolve our desires. So that's the first thing that Caron has to say, is that the response to nihilism for the Christian is to acknowledge the content of the human heart. We have desires. We have things that are, they're, they're datum. They're, they're just there. They're given Right? We didn't create them. We don't know what they are. Um, but they're there, and they structure the way that we approach human life. Part of the reason we want to get rid of desire is because we don't want to... We, we want to have a complete blank slate. We want a tabula rasa so I can just step into life and create myself whoever I want to be. 
and then I can recreate myself however I want to be. And that includes, you know, everything simple from the ways we do it in a million little self-reliant ways all the way to the extreme ideologies around, you know, gender reconstruction and these things. It's about, I don't want any, I don't want any presupposition. I want to be able to just be God, be the God of my little universe. Uh, but human desires don't, they don't do that. They're already there. They're already working and they're already kind of made for something. And he's going to talk about that as, you know, truth, goodness, and beauty, these different things made for the transcendent. So, but I thought that was interesting because usually with nihilism, the first thought is to say, this is important to you, you know, to tell people, hey, this is why Christianity is really important to you. And, and the Christian claim needs to be important. And it's like, it's not important. It's not important to people. But what is important is their desires and are they actually allowing themselves to and can we can we start there, you know, with the correspondence of human desire. So I would say if you eliminate desire, you take out the motor, you take out the passion, yeah, um, the drive, and then we think that we could still move forward towards something, but it's like what would actually draw you? Like you, if you replace it with something else it'll just be either your own desire that you think is going to be better or it's a rejection of the desire that you have that may seem unfulfillable um like i have this longing and i just don't i don't believe that it's ever going to come to come to fruition so i i think that's sad you know uh we we stand at the end of the octave of easter we stand you know waiting the the divine mercy but a lot of it is is because of the you know thomas's expressed desire which is um i won't believe unless i put my hand in his side and you know my finger into the nail marks he expresses his desire he actually doesn't believe that god could fulfill that desire but he at least he less allows it to be and then wondrously it's it's given so the resurrection is the fulfillment of our desires but not in the same way that we would want it. Um, so I think if you eliminate desire, um, yeah, I think it just gets, it, it gets, it stalls. Humanity stalls. Yeah, that's a good way. I like the image of the motor. I, th- I think what the, the question of desire might strike people as like, this seems a bit strange because we think of desire as like bad. You know, you two, desire. I think of Chris West singing that, you know in his old Theology of the Body conferences. Mm. Desire is not just concupiscence. It's not just this negative thing. It's not just married man, you know, good-looking bartender, whatever, like desire. Oh, no, you know, desire needs to be crushed. What he's saying is, like, there are inordinate desires, but desire as part of the structure of human existence is is essential for coming mm-hmm. to really know God. Because if we don't do that, if you just lower the bar of desire, if you just bury it and suppress it, what do you get? Christianity is either reduced to a rational system of ideas, or it's a, it's an ethical system, moral. which is cold yeah. and just right. moral. And that's what people think it is. It's just ideas or rules. Yeah. And desire is actually saying, no, the whole purpose of the encounter with Christ is, does it correspond to the desires of my heart? Mm-hmm. And what I like about Caron and CL in general, just... Giussani's pedagog- pedagogical method is it it really honors human freedom and it says does this resonate with your own desires does this correspond to it does this actually speak to things but we have to we have to live in a way that we actually feel 
I, I like that you're upstairs. You're talking to those ladies about Harriet Lerner's book, The Dance of Anger. I saw that on your desk mm-hmm. there. Nobody wants to talk about anger, right? And uh, people just want to say, well, as long as I'm never angry and I'm really patient, then I'm a good person. Like, that's what we hear in the confessional. It's just like, yeah. I'm just, oh, I got it, you know. It's been 15 years since my last confession, but I guess one or two times I was impatient. And it's just like, you don't know your heart, right? The problem is, the, the, the tragedy here is not that you're, you're not confessing sins. It's that you don't know your desires. You don't know who you are. So I, I think that's the, in the face of nihilism, which is scary and really cold, like when we step out into the world, and we're, we're sheltered from it in the church as priests, but those of you who are in the working world and in the neighborhoods and trying to live life, I was talking to a friend up in Summit County, it's like, it's harsh and cold and deadly, the secular culture, and it's nihilistic. Um, and But that's the place, is to live from the heart, to live as a person of desire, to not see the life of grace as making me an angel that doesn't feel anymore, you know? That just we just kind of drift out of our humanity, Graduate, but it actually yeah. humanizes us. Mm-hmm. It elicits the desires. And then the, there was that great book, Eating Beauty. I think we podcasted on it a couple of years ago, right? You gave me that, I think, or recommended it. From Terry Wright? Yes? No? Oh, Leon Cass? Uh, no, somebody else. But the whole point of it was Augustine's theory of happiness as learning how to desire rightly. Oh. You know? Nope, it was me. Okay. Nice. Maybe it was wrapped. So anyways, that's number one. Any final thoughts on desire? None for now. None for now. None for now. Okay. Well, this one might uh, then... This is just so good. So he talks about the, the rehabilitation of the human heart that needs to happen and the need for desire to be a part of our daily life. And again, we can talk about these things abstractly, but you got to ask yourself if you're... When I pray... Is desire a part of it? Am I praying into my desires? Am I t- am I am I reflecting on what my heart is saying? And is not that, not what I should want, right? What I ought to be feeling, what I actually want, what, what I am. what I'm drawn towards. Karansky always used to say to us, "Live in the is, not in the ought." What is the desire of your heart? Don't don't tell us what should be right. the desire of your heart. If you're if you're longing. To you know, commit an act of infidelity, both as a priest or like you have to take that seriously. What is this? Don't act on it, but but you got to acknowledge it. You got to bring it into the light, or whatever it might be. Uh, desires are are substantial and they're important. Okay, then he talks about um, the encounter with the person of Jesus. So in the companions, we we really stress um, living from the heart, vulnerability of life from the heart, acknowledging desires and bringing them into the fraternal ambit. And he talks about that a little later in the book about the human need to live the desires of the heart to express them in community. And I just spent the last few days writing on Mm. community, which was an impossible topic. Community. Community. Denver Catholic article, 1,500 words on community. Impossible. He, He volunteered impossible he volunteered i i quickly ignored that email conversation well you would have done a better job than i would have because trying to bring this thing down doubtful trying to to land a plane it's like oh man then you should just do a series this begins a series of reflections by father john neville okay right yeah i'd be happy to do it but it's we talk about community all the time and then when you sit down to try and articulate it in a homily or in a short piece you realize sure wow there's a lot here 
Great line from Ratzinger. We're big on mission right now in the Archdiocese of Denver, and it's a great thing, right? And uh, we're moving from maintenance to mission. And uh, I put this line into this article, and we're going to see how it works. Um, this is Ratzinger that, that uh, he's quoting. It has to do with community. The early church, the early church, after the end of the apostolic time, developed a relatively reduced missionary activity. She had no strategy for announcing the faith of the pagans. You listening? Trying. Yeah, of course not. This is so he's talking about the early church. Yes, and no strategy. No strategy for announcing the the faith of the pagans, and yet faith to the pagans, and yet even so, this time became a period of great missionary success. The conversion of the ancient world to Christianity, here we go, was not the result of a planned action, but of the proof of the faith in the world as it was made visible in the life of Christians and in the community of the church. Humanly speaking, the real invitation was from experience to experience and nothing more. That was the missionary power of the early church. Boom. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean... What do you want you to look say like you about? You got to go to the bathroom. What do you want to say about? You're that? dancing over there. Go ahead. And, you know. No, I just, I'm just asking why that quote struck you in a particular way. So Brenda is going to be listening, and I got in trouble a couple weeks ago. You did, and, and uh, remember, I was uncomfortable with what oh, you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is the I'm middle sure child in me pointing at my older brother, saying he did it. I'm not saying strategic planning is bad. I love strategic planning. I'm all about it, and we need it. But the heart of conversion happens in the experience of the Christian, and, and it happens in an invitation from experience to experience. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the title of this podcast, From Experience to Experiences. And Brenda agrees with me on that, right? You talk, you talk to her? No, but I, she would. Okay, she would. She would. Yeah, she would. Yeah, yeah. You know? Okay. And uh, so all of the work that we're doing at a large level in terms of Tim Gumkowski and everybody, it's <laughs> knock it off, Goble. Um is uh you lost my, my train of thought. I here. thought I would. <laughs> I know that you're trying to protect goods. This is this is what I think is important in it. We have to find a way to actually have some kind of conversation moving us in a direction while at the same time equipping us with the theological realities that we need to be reminded of. Like, just as there was a liturgical impulse to be like, we want the faith to go out to all of these people, and we should we should just do like, you know, masses with clown face, and, you know, you know maybe we should consecrate other elements. There has to be Theological advisors, which is what I think um, John Paul II and Balthazar were at the at the Vatican Council, where we say we're all for moving forward, but we have to do it in this way. And I think that's the reason why that that particular quote speaks to you is because it's like we do want to have uh, movement, we do want to share the gospel. But there was no particular strategy. Right. It was an interpersonal sharing of experience. Right. And for CL, that's an that's a pregnant word. What would you say experience is to somebody who's uh, in CL? 
Is that a question for me? Yeah. Or is that rhetorical? No, I think that it's important for our listeners to know, like, when they say experience, it's not just like, what do you think? Oh, what do you think? Oh, what do you think? Well, like yeah, that, I, that's yeah. high school youth group back in right, the day. Right. Um, but experience, I think, for the CL, for the person in community liberation, is what? Well, that's, that's a good question. And for two guys who aren't in the movement, we should probably we should probably have some reverence for that question of like, we actually can't speak to that. I will say reading Giassani experience is a category that has been neglected in the modern period uh, in particular. And uh, it has to be recovered as a, as a legitimate category of Christian life. So a lot, a lot of the way that, that many people or for a long time have spoken is just Christian life is about doing things. You do Christian things. And this is like, like, and again, I just want to close that little section on Brenda and everybody at the Archdiocese. We love you, and we love what you're doing. And this is there's nothing there. Goble just likes to kind of, you know, throw some gas out there and just kind of Middle hold child. hold the match over the top of it. He says there's nothing there's nothing polemical here. It's just we're all in agreement. But we have to say to ourselves, like we're reinstating the um, requirement for Sunday obligation which prior to the pandemic, less than 20% of Catholics actually paid attention to. We'll see what it looks like now. We have to consult our experience and say, what, what, what is this Sunday obligation? That, like, instead of just saying, I ought to start going back to Mass on Pentecost Sunday, and then my family will go to Mass every Sunday after that. It's not enough to be Orthodox anymore. Like we thought this this in the in the late nineties, early two thousands, we thought that was it. You just if we just get all the tenets of the church right and you preach right, everything's gonna be fine. It's not enough. It's an essential part of it. Um I said mass today for Hans Hans Kuhn, who is I think kind of a he's kind of a villain theologically. And I just like my heart was moved to be like, you need to pray for his soul. This is one of the greatest dissenters of the last century and he died this week we have to consult our experience it can't just be kind of the collective group think of catholic thought that now we get a new instruction so we now we go do this thing and somehow that has to demonstrate that it's not there's not conflict between an objective truth and standard of values that i'm conforming my life to and my experience which doesn't want to doesn't want to conform to that at times, or whatever that might be. And what I love about CL is that they take experience and they say the, the, you make a judgment on your experience in the context of community. So it's not just my world, my life, my experience, mm-hmm. but it's the, the judgment is, is a key part of it, learning to judge one's experience. But it, it, this is a communal act. And I think it's also judged in light of the resurrection. Right. And in light of not just the resurrection as, well, then I ought to do it. Why should I go to Mass? Because I ought to do it. That's not why Jesus rose from the dead, so that we could be obliged to go to Sunday Mass. Right. Um, and I think that for them, as they share their experience, it's enlightened and it's, it's, um, it's pondered through their humanity that has been perfused with the communal experience of uh, the gospel, which is not always easy. The gospel doesn't always just like, yay, this is what we want to do. We're an alleluia people, you know? It's like, well, sometimes it's like, 
I believe, but I, I find it hard to believe, and I have to ponder why. And it's beautiful to hear uh, some of the sharing, or at least some of the expressions in these books um, and other ones that I've read, uh, where there's real honesty about what they've what they've seen, um, and I think that's what drives some people to to go to like AA meetings. Because they're like, I have never met people so honest in my life. And I would say similarly with people from CL. Not just the tagalongs that sometimes come, but the people who have walked in it for a yeah. number of years. Yeah. Like they've been they've been changed and shaped by it. I um I was talking to a friend recently who uh who is a part of like one of the more vibrant sec- sectors, I would say, of our diocese in terms of community life and young family life. And he said, I, I, my life is, is replete with community, but I don't have an, an experience of fraternity, of that kind of intimacy. And that says to me, we privatize our experience, even in good Catholic community. And there's something, like you're saying, there's this boldness and this freshness to bring one's experience to light uh, that Giassani gave, gave the courage to those who share in the charism and in, and in the movement um, to do that and to bring that into the center stage, but, but not in itself, like learning to assess one's and understand the desires of one's heart to evaluate and to judge one's experience. Those are like the tools. That's like the toolkit for then encountering the event, the historical event, the watershed moment of all history, which is the incarnation. That's where you then say, what is my experience in light of this man who claims to be God? That that's the question. So, in my my sense, is that the, the the religious sense and all these different things, the way that we consult experience. It's not just experience for experience sake. It's not just desire for desire sake. It's learning the toolkit in order to encounter Christ. And the weird thing is that in a sacramentalized culture, where people just get on the machinery and find themselves age eighteen, fully fully kind of sacramentalized, mm-hmm. it's like this is missing. Right. And I spent Easter Sunday talking to a bunch of freaking teenage girls about how pissed they were that they that I'm not going to marry them. They're, they're like, I've known them for their whole life, that I'm not going to marry them on a mountaintop. Like, And I'm like, it's Easter Sunday. We're not talking about the resurrection. Wow. We're talking about the imaginary fight you're in with the Catholic Church because it's so hard to be Catholic, even though you don't even have boyfriends. <laughs> right? Oh. It was true. I was like, this is so sad. This is my experience. Okay. That's that. Yep. You got time for one more? You got one, one more, more in quote. you? One more quote. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I just keep checking the thing to see when the announcement's coming out. Check, check, checking. The last thing he talks about, and I think this ties in. So this pod, thank you. I saw that. Very funny. Please put that down. I, uh, I wish I could video this, like have a secret no. camera right here. No. No. Um, last quote. So we moved from desire to experience and now to uh, conversion. And he, this, there was this line he said that just really kind of about halfway through Lent, it, it, it was a reset moment, you know? Spiritually, sometimes there's a word or a scripture verse or something you read, and it's just like, okay, what am I doing? And he just basically says, uh, and he's quoting Giassani, that the, the fundamental option in life is either the affirmation of self or the conversion of self. Hmm. He also calls it the expression of self. So we're living in a culture that uh, says, so if you wake up and you feel 
what human beings feel, uh, your desires. You you live at the level of the human heart. If you if you live a life that's aware to that, and many people don't, uh, you start to consult your experience, even within community. Even that's not enough. What he's saying is that ultimately it's about you. You can be totally aware of the desires of your heart, express them and reflect on them in experience. But if you don't then come to the question of, is the purpose of my life to affirm myself or is it to convert myself? What do I do with the self, right? There, there's no running away from the Nathan Goebelness that's in front of me that you have, you live in that every day and the John Nuppleness right here. Like we can't, can't get away from that. So the self is always with us. What do you do with that? The desires are there. The experience is there. It's the two options. I either spend my life affirming and expressing myself or I learn how to convert into this other who is Christ and who makes the claim as God that he actually knows who I am and that I don't actually know who I am. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's the, now we're getting down to the mystery into the heart of the Christian life. The why, so to speak, that when people are not confronted with get caught up in the periphery. Those girls, God bless them. I told them they were, they were giving me the business about getting married on the mountaintop. And I said, and they're like, tell us why, tell us why. Uh, and I was like, that's question number 37. Moral. Yeah. You know, I was like, that is not the question. That's the question for them, which is important. But I was like, that's question number 37. There's a lot of them there. And this one of, do we know who we are apart from Christ? That's, that's that's the question we got to be asking, and somehow we got to figure out in a nihilistic culture, how do we bring that back into conversation? Well, I would say that you know, coming full circle, I'm glad that you mentioned that because it's like ultimately, if it's about nihilism, it's not about restoring meaning, but rather about restoring mystery. Because ultimately, if it's about conversion, I don't have the answer to that. God does. And I convert more fully to him and his person. And through that, I learn what I should be. And then from my being, I know what I must do. But most people say I should convert, which means I should stop doing these behaviors or I should start doing these behaviors. And I don't think that the answer to nihilism is upright moral action um, only. I think that can be a fruit um, like, you know, the certain people in these communities are living radically different lives, but I don't think that their intention is to live the actions. I think it's to live in relationship, which ultimately I I think is is the goal for this whole focus on mission. Like, we want to live in relationship with someone but that's mysterious. There's no program for that. There's no program for conversion. I remember as a kid, like going into psychology class, I mean, kid, I was like in high school, but like, um, and it was like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it's like at the top is self-actualization. It's like, all right, that's just what I need to get to. Like at some point I'll get all my needs met and I'll, I'll get to self-actualization and then I'll just be like totally awesome. But like, that's what affirmation seems like. I'm going to spend the rest of my life affirming myself, which is actualizing myself. I decide what I am. I decide what I will do. Um, No one tells me anything of what I should be or do. Um, I make decisions. It's about me. 
And I think that's egoism, which I think can be nihilistic, uh, because the ego is nothing, ultimately. The ego only exists in light of the relationship with God. So um, I'm glad that the the final point that is that you know at least the, you're drawing out is about converting to a relationship as opposed to I, I just I need to be better. I love need it. To do better. Love it. That was the fervorino that I was waiting for. Uh, everything concludes in mystery, um, and the response, as you said, well, the response of denialism being not just the kind of rational or moralistic uh, emphasis on meaning, but on meaning as it is just dropped into the ocean of God's eternal mystery. Mm-hmm. That's, and we have to live that. Which is, a yeah. And we're working at it. And so is Brenda Canella at the Archdiocese of Denver. She's rocking it. We love you, Brenda. Okay, that's it. He's done. He's done with his topic. We can now move on to shout-outs. Problem is, I don't have a topic for next week. So as soon as we're done with this topic, I got to figure out mine. Yep. So we're going to do some shout-outs first. All right, I got a lovely bottle of whiskey sitting in front of me here. Thanks to... Catholic Stuff Crew visiting Denver from Montana for my spring break. I teach high school music, just like Kyle Tannehill taught in Montana, and wanted to share some of Montana's finest. Thank you for all uh, for all of you at Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Podcast has more than anything humanized the priesthood and Catholicism, which has brought me so much closer to God and the church. I can't express my gratitude fully, so this bottle will have to suffice. It always does. This bottle is meant for everyone. Everyone. Uh, don't want to hear of it making its way to Father John or Father Nathan's personal collection. Well, guess what, Nathan Connell? We're going to drink it right now. There you go. Okay. If you can make it up to Glacier National Park, uh, he's we got a guy going to the Sun Road. Uh, incredible incredible bike ride. Would love to do it. And he says, add this one to the pro banter column. Thank you, Nathan. Thanks for the bourbon. Cheers to you. Happy Easter. Greetings. Okay. I have a letter from a military address. I will not read it for fear that I will disclose a certain person's um, uh, location. But it says Bluff, B-L-U-F. You know what that means? B-L-U-F. Colon. Change baby-making mass to mass of Christian fertility. Father, regarding the, quote, baby-making mass, I believe a better title would be mass of Christian fertility. For the following, descriptive and appropriate, would draw immediate attention from those uh, seeking fertility and solutions to fertility, meshes to sound like massive Christian burial, speaks honestly to the purpose of intercourse and Catholic social teaching, highlights the dignity of marital love, highlights the couple's specific desire, easy to understand for the attentive laity may lead to the creation of specific ecclesiastical prayers. I meant to write for a while, but I'm just getting around to it. I started listening to your podcast about 10 years ago, and therefore longer than I've known my wife, who hates banter. Oh. And I've grown fond of the discussion and the various topics. I even thought of stopping by, passing through Denver, but prudence and time dictated otherwise. I typically listen while at the gym. He goes on. Lastly, I know the podcast has asked for suggestions. I think the seven signs of predestination might make for a good podcast. Thank you for being a good priest. Uh, very respectfully, Ed Glogler. Ed Glogler. 
Ed Glogler. Ed Glogler, United States Navy. Yes. Go Navy, beat Army. Oh. Um, so, Edward, um, I have to tell you, uh, we have officially made the um, the leap over into the mass of Christian fertility. That will be occurring April 28th. If you have desires, uh, legitimate desires, uh, that you would like to send in to the podcast, please email us or uh, send us a note on Facebook or whatever, and I'll lay all those intentions at the altar. I emailed the Archbishop of Denver and told him that we were doing a mass of Christian fertility and asked to borrow his relic of St. Gianna, which he agreed to. And uh, his secretary, Father Matt McGee, said, this is a noble uh, purpose. You should request a relic of St. Gianna from the foundation for this ongoing mass of Christian fertility. So... Um, Ed, if we do end up getting a relic, relic from the St. Gianna Foundation, it is because I requested a relic asking for uh, support for a massive Christian fertility and not for a baby-making mass. So thank you. Thank uh, you, Ed. Well uh, thank done. you for uh, humanizing and baptizing what otherwise would have been um, wrong. So thank you, Ed. And we'll pray for you being married to a woman who's a banter hater. You know, uh, I think that Opposites attract. One step forward, two right. steps back. We get together because opposites attract. Dun, dun, dun. All right, folks, we are off. We are a little bit more juiced. Uh, we will come back having uh, uh, consumed some Ennis Montana whiskey, and we'll be right back after this. Catholic at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Happy Easter. Laters. Laters.